Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Adam, and we are so glad that you are joining us this morning. We are kicking off a brand new series called Mirror Images. And over the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about how we are broken reflections of a perfect God. And over the course of these weeks, we are going to be covering some pretty hot button topics. We'll be talking about things like the sanctity of life, sexuality, gender, and marriage. And there's going to be a lot to unpack in each of these conversations. And we're going to do our best to give a biblical perspective on each of these topics and answer some of the questions that you might have. And I recognize that we might not get to all of the questions that you have. And so my challenge for you is to attend every single message from now until Father's Day, because even if your question isn't answered in one message, it might be answered in another message. And even with our best attempt to answer those questions, there's going to be some questions that slip through the cracks. And so at the end of this series, we are going to host a question and answer time for you to come with any questions that you might have, just so we can have open conversation about how to have a biblical perspective on these pretty relevant topics for today and to know how to approach our culture now, this morning is going to be kind of the foundational message for this whole series and set up everything else that we're going to talk about. And so I want to start this morning off with an illustration. Now, Kurt and I dragged this thing out of his basement, which was a workout in itself. Now, how many of you have ever used a Bowflex before? Ah, just a few of you. How many of you have tried to use a Bowflex and you're just trying to figure out like which pulley does what and how to even do a workout? There's probably a hundred different movements that you can do on this thing to get an exercise in. But not all 100 different things that you could do with this are the right way to do it. And you could probably experiment with this thing and do some things that probably are not correct. Like if I want to get a big bicep, I could try doing something like this and just really hope that I don't lose my grip on this thing and let it smack me in the chin. Or, all right, my right side is my good side. So say I just want to work out this part of my body. So I've got this side loaded up, got some less weight on my right side, and I could, I could do it like this and... Really hope that I don't throw out my shoulder or, or damage anything. So as you can see, all different things that you can do with a Bowflex, not all of them are helpful, and some of them can lead to pain and injury. So how do I use a piece of equipment like this to make sure that I don't hurt myself? Do I have to learn all the 75 ways not to use the Bowflex? Well, I could... But I think what would work even better is to understand how this thing is designed and to know the right way to use it. And by knowing the right way to use it, I'll know what the wrong ways are. Now let's use this Bowflex as an illustration for life. Let's face it, we all live in a broken world full of hurting people. And some of that hurt comes from people hurting other people. And some of that hurt comes from people hurting themselves, maybe trying to just navigate life or get the most out of life and going about it in a way that leads to hurt. 
And this isn't just a problem that other people have. This isn't just a problem that maybe your neighbor has or your coworker has. But this is, this is something that we are all working on as well. And none of us have life 100% figured out. We're not doing it all the right way. And so what's the solution? I don't think it's to learn all the 75 ways how not to do life. But what we need to know is how we were designed to do life and to know the right way to do it. And so this morning, we're going to be talking about three foundational truths from the Word of God. And the first one is God is the source of life. And we're going to be in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 for a little bit. Genesis is the first book of the Bible. And this is where we're going to be in for most of our series here. Genesis 1.1 says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, if you've grown up around church, you've probably heard this verse before. And so it's not new information. You might even have this verse memorized. But sometimes when we're familiar with verses, sometimes we just like skip over it and don't take the time to really think about what it's talking about. So whether you grew up in Sunday school and you know this verse like the back of your hand, or you're hearing this for the first time, I think it'll be so important for us to take the time to unpack all of the significance that is in just this one sentence here. So starting with the first part, it says, in the beginning. In the beginning of what? In the beginning of time. And it's kind of hard to wrap our minds around an idea that time had a beginning. I mean, all of us live within time. We have a time when we were born, a time when we go off to school, a time to get a job, a time to die. We all live within the confines of time. But God is not bound by time. In fact, God lived eternally before time even began. And so that's the next part of this verse. In the beginning, God and if you were to look up a definition for God in any dictionary, something that you might find is this definition. God is the supreme being. And by definition, there is no being, no person, no reality that is more supreme than God. God is perfect. He's even the standard for perfection. God has perfect existence. He doesn't have a beginning or an end. God has perfect power and control. God has perfect knowledge. God has perfect morality or goodness. God has perfect love. And all throughout history, in every single time period, in every single culture, humanity has this innate idea that there is a standard for perfection. Have you guys ever seen Indiana Jones and the Holy Grail? where they're looking for this cup, and if they can drink from it, then they'll live forever. Or maybe you've heard of the legend of the fountain of youth, where if somebody drinks from it, they can live forever. And I think that's because for thousands of years, humanity has had this idea that an eternal existence is more perfect than a temporary life that ends in death. All right, let's talk about perfect power. Even the greatest kings and dictators who ever lived, they never even came close to perfect power and perfect control. There is always more land to conquer, more people to rule over, more advancements to make. 
There's just this idea there has to be something more. Or we could even look at the greatest scholars who ever lived, people who have forgotten more information than I'll ever know. And nobody has ever claimed to have all of life's questions figured out. There's just this sense of that they just don't make that standard of perfection. You could even look at Mother Teresa, who's kind of put on a pedestal for her morality and her goodness. And I think that if she was here with us this morning, she would say, she is not a perfect person. But this whole idea of perfection, I think points back to a standard of perfection. And God himself is that standard of perfection because he is the supreme being. And God created the heavens and the earth. Now, could you imagine trying to count every single grain of sand on every single beach all across the world? You could have a whole team of people devoting their lives to counting the sand on just half a beach and not even come close. But the crazy fun fact here is that there are more stars in our universe than there are grains of sand on all the beaches all across the world. And some of these stars are just incredibly massive. And I wanted to show you this video that can put in perspective just how big these are out in space. So go ahead and turn your attention to this screen. It just blows my mind how big all of these stars are. And to think that God is even bigger than those stars, that God just breathed those stars into existence in a single day. And God could do that. And he also fashioned our planet Earth with such intricate detail. Here's just a couple of fun facts about the Earth that point to God's design. So if you've ever paid attention to a globe, you notice that it's tilted at 23 degrees. And that's not because your globe just got bent or something like that. That's how our planet Earth is. And that specific tilt is so essential for sustaining life. And if the tilt of the Earth was altered just a little bit in either direction, that would dramatically affect the temperatures on Earth. And that would make it unsustainable for human life. And so even just the way that our planet is positioned is pointing back to God's incredible design. Here's just one more fact about how Jupiter actually keeps us safe. Here's a quote. If Jupiter were not in its current orbit, the Earth would be bombarded with space material. Jupiter's gravitational field acts as a cosmic vacuum cleaner, attracting asteroids and comets that might otherwise strike Earth. And I, I can't say that that is an accident. 
That is so incredible that God set all of that up so that the planet Earth can sustain human life. And there's a lot of people who don't believe that the God really created everything. It's even a minority view to say that God is the creator of the universe. But you have to say that the universe came into existence somehow. And there's really just a couple of options. You can either believe that there were just these two random molecules that existed eternally and they came together in a random way that just made everything that there is today through some kind of explosion. Or you can believe in a God who existed eternally, who created the universe and everything in it through his divine power. And honestly, I think it takes less faith to believe that all of this is the result of God than to say that all of this came into existence just through random chance. And this is so important. And not just so that we know the origins of the earth and and all of that kind of stuff, but this is so important for the way that we live our lives. If God, the source of life, were to communicate to you Would you want to hear what he has to say? Would you take it seriously? And the truth is that a lot of people in our culture, they don't want to hear what God has to say, and they don't want to take it seriously. Because God does communicate to us, and he does that through his word, the Bible. And if God is the source of life, then his word is the authority for life. Let's check out what 2 Timothy says. 316 says, it says, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So sometimes we talk about the Bible and scripture interchangeably. Scripture refers to any document that comes from God. And scripture It contains a whole bunch of different writings that were written by different authors in different time periods in different cultures to different audiences. But something that is the same for every single piece of scripture is that when the author put his pen to paper, he wasn't writing down his own ideas, his own thoughts, his opinions. The author wasn't trying to just start some kind of religion. But the author was moved to write the very words of God, to put to paper exactly what God wants to say to his people. And that's what it means when this verse says that all of scripture is God-breathed, that the spirit of God moved in the writers to write all of these things down. And then all of these different books that are scripture from that span of 1,400 years We're all put together into one book that we call today the Bible. And so the Bible is scripture. And the Bible gives us everything that we need to live the Christian life and to navigate this life that we live. And sometimes we think that the Bible is just a whole bunch of rules and commands for how we live our lives. As if God just wants to make things hard on us. As if God doesn't want us to have any kind of fun in life. But that's really not how it works. And it's such a blessing that God gives us his word so that we can know his heart and know how to navigate life. Here's a quote from C.S. Lewis. He says, 
There's a story about a schoolboy who was asked what he thought God was like. He replied that as far as he could make out, God was the sort of person who's always snooping around to see if anyone's enjoying himself and then trying to stop it. And I'm afraid that this is the sort of idea that the word morality raises in a good many people's minds. Something that interferes, something that stops you from having a good time. In reality, moral rules are directions for running the human machine. Every moral rule is there to prevent a breakdown or a strain or a friction in the running of that machine. That is why these rules at first seem to be constantly interfering with our natural inclinations. When you're being taught how to use any machine, the instructor keeps on saying, no, don't do it like that. Because, of course, there are all sorts of things that look all right and seem to you the natural way of treating the machine, but do not really work. And you don't have to believe the Bible, but that doesn't make it any less true. And to ignore what God says is like taking the directions for life and just throwing them out the window. Now, let's go back to this illustration with the Bowflex here. So I want to use this thing to get an exercise in, and I want to make sure that I don't hurt myself. I want to make sure that I'm doing this right. How do I know how to use this piece of equipment? Do I just go off of popular opinion? If everybody else says the best way to use this piece of equipment is like this, is that a good way to use it? Probably not. So all right, wait a minute. How about I go off of how I think and feel, or my experiences. So if I have really good experiences of using the Bowflex like this, does that make it a good idea? Probably not. Besides, my, my thoughts and my feelings, they change on a pretty regular basis. And so what I really need in order to operate this Bowflex the way it was designed is the manual from the designers, the people who actually put this together and had plans for how it was meant to be used. By following this, this is what, I will, what will keep me safe and keep me from injuries from doing things that I'm not supposed to do with this. And I think that's the same reason that we need the Bible. If we're just trying to navigate life and trying to figure out what is really true, can we just go off of popular opinion? We've seen all throughout history, that doesn't really work out. All you have to do is go back a few hundred years in American history to know that the majority of Americans were for enslaving other people. And that's not right. Now that we're on this side of history, we see that is absolutely wrong. But the scary thing is that history repeats itself. And our American culture might not be saying slavery is okay, but there's so many other things that our culture is promoting and asking us to all embrace that as Christians, we should not embrace. All right, so don't follow popular opinion. How about, how about looking for truth inside of myself, searching deep within my thoughts and my feelings and coming up with my truth? And maybe my truth looks different from somebody else's truth who looks different from somebody else's truth. But what if my truth says that God is real 
And somebody else's truth says that God is not real. So God is real. God is not real. Those two things can't both be true at the same time. That's a logical inconsistency. And so we need some kind of standard for truth outside of ourselves. And that's what the Bible offers us. It comes from God and it's not dependent on the ever-changing thoughts, feelings, and opinions of humanity, but it's rooted in the all-knowing designer and creator of the universe, the one who created human life to begin with. And this is so important for us as we navigate life to be rooted by this standard of truth. Now, what about people who don't believe in God and people who don't really take what God has to say seriously? I think every single one of us here in this room knows somebody who doesn't believe in God and doesn't want to follow God. Maybe your heart hurts for that person and you see just the direction that life is taking them. You're afraid that they're going to get themselves hurt. They're going to continue to hurt people in their lives. How do you approach them? How do you invest in their life? How do you engage them? I think the answer is to follow the example of Jesus. Because Jesus is God himself who took on humanity to enter this world. And as Jesus walked the face of this earth, he saw full well the brokenness of humanity he saw people who were denying God's existence or following after their own ways instead of taking God's word seriously. And, and Jesus didn't just turn a blind eye to them. He also didn't just let them believe whatever it is they wanted to believe. So let's go ahead and take a look at Jesus's approach to people. And we know about this from John chapter 1. And in verse 14, and in this passage, the disciple John is referring to Jesus as the word. So it says the word or Jesus became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. And that was Jesus's approach to people who didn't know God or people who weren't following after God. And I think that's an example for what our approach should be. Grace and truth is our approach to life. And the emphasis in this passage is that Jesus was full of both grace and truth. It doesn't say that Jesus had some truth and some grace. Or Jesus was 75% truth and 15% grace or even the other way around. But Jesus fully embodied both of these virtues. I think for a lot of us, either grace or truth comes more naturally to us. But there might be one of these virtues that doesn't come as naturally. Maybe it's not as easy for us to show grace to somebody, or maybe it's not as easy for us to show truth to somebody. And so my, my encouragement to you is to look at this scale and just take a minute to think, where do you line up? None of us are perfect. None of us are 100% grace, 100% truth. But where do you tend to fall? Do you tend to be more gracious or more truthful? And whichever one is a little bit harder for you, 
That's probably the one that you should work on. And so with the remainder of our time this morning, I just want to walk through some questions or some considerations to have so that we can grow in truth and grace. So here's one. If you are somebody who tends to be a very gracious person, but truth doesn't come as naturally to you, here's a question that you can ask yourself. Am I willing to love someone by telling them what they need to hear instead of just what they want to hear? And I want to emphasize that sometimes it is loving to have those hard conversations with people and to tell them what they don't want to hear. And this isn't saying that we have to be the truth police and call out every single person who says something that isn't truthful. But if you have a relationship with somebody, if you have credibility in their life, if you have influence, and you see that they're headed down a path that is harmful for them because they're believing a lie or they're living a lie, then the loving thing to do is to tell them what they need to hear. And maybe God has given you that relationship with that person or that influence for the purpose of being able to speak truth into their life. Here's another one. Do I use grace as an excuse to not confront people who need to be confronted? And Jesus said, if a brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. And if they listen to you, you have won them over. And Jesus isn't saying this just so we can beat people on top of the head because of their sin. But this is part of God's plan for restoration, to expose that what they did was wrong and to bring healing to a relationship that was divided because of sin. But sometimes we don't do this. And sometimes we use grace as an excuse. Like, oh, I'll just let grace cover that. Grace can cover that. It's all fine. But, and there are times to let grace cover something. But if it's eating you up inside, or you're talking to all these other people about it, and they're not even involved in the problem, then maybe grace is an excuse not to do the right thing. And here's one more. Do I minimize the seriousness of God's commands? I think a lot of us approach the Bible with a highlighter and a Sharpie marker. There's things we want to emphasize and some things that we want to minimize. And so you could take that highlighter and highlight all the things about God's love and his mercy and his goodness and all of those things. And that is so great. That is so true. But it's what you do with that Sharpie marker. Maybe there's some things in the Bible that they kind of rub you the wrong way or you don't want to apply that in your own life. You kind of want to just cross that out. And and maybe you don't even want to stand up for what God says in his word. Like if other people are like, do you really believe what God says in the Bible there? And you're like, huh, what? I just believe that God is love. I just believe that he's gracious. And when we minimize some of the things that God says, what we're doing is we're placing ourselves in a position of higher authority than God's word. Because we're putting ourselves in a position of saying, that's important for life, that's not important for life. And that is a dangerous place to be in. So I think we need to be careful that we don't minimize the seriousness of God's commands. Now, for those of you who lean more towards truth, And maybe grace is something that you need to work on. Here's a couple questions and considerations. 
You could ask yourself, am I trying to make a difference or make a point? Or another way that you could put that is, am I focused on having influence in somebody's life or winning an argument? Now, sometimes we can get all fired up and caught up in trying to make a point, win an argument. And in our minds, it's just all about issues and topics and politics and all of that kind of stuff. And sometimes we forget that we're talking to real people. And don't lose the opportunity to make a difference in somebody's life because you're so focused on just having the last word or having that slam dunk argument. And here's another one. This is one that I have to remind myself on a pretty regular basis. Approach Trump's content every time. And this doesn't mean that we shouldn't share the truth. We absolutely should share the truth. But how we go about it is so important. How we go about it can make or break if somebody even wants to listen to what we have to say. And the message of the gospel is offensive enough as it is. Most people don't want to hear how they are sinners and, and that God has a way for them to live. But let's not make it any harder for people to accept the gospel of Jesus because of our approach to it, being a holier-than-thou approach or being rude or anything else like that. And here's the last one here. Am I willing, or I'm sorry, am I winning the right for the next conversation. Something that I've been learning about myself recently is that I'm not all that persuasive. And if somebody firmly believes something, I'm probably not going to change their mind through one conversation. But I probably can have influence in somebody's life over a longer period of time through more conversations. And so my challenge for you is to win the right for the next conversation. Like, don't lose the opportunity to have influence in somebody's life through more conversations over more time because of how you handle the first conversation, feeling like you have to have the case closed and have the best argument and change their mind right then and there. But to play the long game and to focus on having influence in somebody's life. And this morning, we're talking about grace in truth, to set ourselves up for what we'll be talking about in the next few weeks. Because some of these topics that we are going to be covering are very divisive topics. And we want to have a biblical perspective on these topics. We also want to be equipped to engage our culture in the example of Jesus and being full of grace and full of truth. And so kind of our theme verse for the next few weeks is in Colossians, and it says, Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversations be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. And my challenge for you this week is to please try to make it a point to come to every single message from now until Father's Day. And the other thing is to start now 
and following the example of Jesus to be full of grace and truth in the way that you engage other people. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are such an awesome God. I thank you that we can have a glimpse of just how awesome you are through what we can see in space, through even just the details of how you've created planet Earth to sustain life for us. And God, I thank you so much that you didn't just create us and then just leave Earth to just kind of do its own thing and to be uninvolved in it. But I thank you that you are a God who is involved. I thank you that even when sin entered the world, even when sin just brought brokenness to all of humanity, that you didn't turn your back on us, you didn't give up, but you came to meet us in the most intimate way, sending your own son to live as a human, to live the perfect life that we could never live, and to die on the cross for our sins and to pay the price that we deserve to pay also that we can know you and love you for all of eternity. And God, you are so worthy of every bit of devotion that we could ever offer you. Please help us to see you as the source of life. Help us to see your word as the authority for our lives. Help us to look to you and help us to follow the example of Jesus in showing grace and truth to others. I'm sure all of us have people in our lives that we care deeply about who are just going down the wrong path. And God, maybe you've placed us in their lives for a purpose of reaching them. And I ask that we would just embrace the opportunity that you've given us and to steward that opportunity well by showing truth and grace. And I just pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.